The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Hello and welcome to the Radiate Wellness Podcast with your host, metaphysician, Reiki master, and hypnotherapist, Christy Clemens Hoffman. Each week, we will discover teachings, tips, and tools to radiate your best life ever with practitioners, authors, and luminaries to help you on your path. Wellness, joy, peace, abundance. What do you want to radiate? Hello, and welcome back to the Radiate Wellness Podcast. Today, we radiate wisdom with Thomas Fries, who's a storyteller, author, and psychic in Louisville, Kentucky, one of my, I would say, favorite places. It's a lovely place. Now, Thomas has been a psychic reader for 25 years and does palm tarot and past life readings. In addition, he's authored 10 books of tales of encounters with ghosts, spirits, and angels. Thomas is truly, truly prolific. We met in Nashville at the Galactic Expo, where I was impressed with his book, Tree Spirits and Wood Wisdom, which was really interesting. I'll wait to talk about that with Thomas. Hello and welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much. I appreciate y'all having me. Oh, absolutely. You know, we met and talked a bit at in Nashville, and I was just impressed with the amount of different things that you do and the knowledge that you have. You had beautiful handcrafted wood items, tools, sculptures, and more, and then so many books. Ten books, huh? Right. Well, actually 11 and I'm working on more, but I just love to share, you know, people's wisdom, the world's wisdom with other folks. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Now you're a storyteller by trade. Right. So one of my self-employed day jobs, excuse me, is to go to schools and libraries. A lot of times it's children and be a visiting visual teaching artist and also a storyteller. Wow. Yeah. You have a master's degree in something really interesting. Where is that? expressive therapies. So people probably know that as art therapy, but expressive therapy is wider than just visual art. It's also compose a song, write a poem, do movement. So any way that we express ourselves will project who we are and what we're feeling, basically. Oh my gosh. How did you get involved in that? How'd you get started? Well, I worked in the clinical world. I'm a psych major, and then I got my master's. So uh, working in uh, therapeutic settings and educational settings, there's that notion of as children, but also adults to do a drawing or make something out of clay that you feel better and you express whatever feelings you have at the moment. So I met an art therapist in college down in San Antonio in the 70s, and I just thought, well, that's the coolest job ever. (laughs) Yeah. So children would come and that it was kind of a residential treatment center for, you might say, troubled children. And actually, a little aside, a lot of children who get a diagnosis are actually gifted and sensitive to the spirit world. That's another topic. 
And I saw this therapist, the children would come in and they'd kind of settle down from whatever emotions they had blasting around and they would just find themselves in the artwork. And so it took a while, but eventually the University of Louisville has a really long-standing program and I applied and I was one of the older students. So I already had a lot of life experience. And then I worked in the field here in Louisville. I worked in the Catholic schools, actually the great schools as a counselor and therapist, but you can really, really see anytime someone's doing artwork, it's just fulfilling their soul. It's expressing themselves. And to use the, the radiate word, you know, they're radiating their own soul essence and putting that out there in a creative way. Yeah, absolutely. What is it about creating that helps us express ourselves? What do you That's, think? Right. That's a good question. So I think we have embedded within us metaphysically the notion, universal notion of truth, beauty, and goodness. So that's embedded within us by the creator, by the way the universe works. So as we move through the world, if we feel out of touch with that, then we're going to make artwork that protests the lack of beauty. But if we feel in the moment or in general, for a certain period of time, if we feel in tune with truth, beauty, and goodness, then we just can't help but express that. So for some people, it might be running or being with nature and other people it might be well, I'm going to make this beautiful website and this customer is going to love it. And you can express yourself in culinary ways and cooking. But of course, there's the classic visual art ways you can express yourself too, like drawing or painting or playing with clay. And everything that we do says something about ourselves. Just like a graphologist, a handwriting analysis, you just sign your name and they say, oh, here's, let me tell you 10 things about you. All you did was did a little scratching of a pen on paper. So when you move in the room, when you choose what to wear, you can't help but holographically project yourself. And so that's embedded in the artwork. And then trained professionals, if they're helping someone who's working through some issues, whether a child or adult, they can receive that artwork. They can reflect it back to the client and say, here's what I'm seeing. You did a little, a lot of black scribbles. I wonder if maybe you're feeling in a down mood today or something. Or just whatever, but it's like, you know, psychic reading a lot. You just hold the mirror and say, here's what I see that's going on with you. And so our therapists can do that, but it's a wonderful profession. And I'm not working in the field officially, but a lot of times when I go in to schools and libraries, I'm a visiting teaching artist. So you can kind of see, oh, wow, little Johnny's doing a lot of violent things there. Maybe he's got a lot of aggression that he's either receiving or transmitting as he's expressing his feelings or Susie is showing this relational kind of thing with she draws little stick figures of her peers or her family. What do you see there? Why is that one child really, really drawn really, really big when that child's only five years old? You know, I mean, there's all this representational metaphoric language that people do when they do different kinds of expressive arts. Right. And were you an artist before you did that? Yes, but self-taught. So I didn't go to art school. Uh, I have artists in the family, musicians and visual artists. My mom got awards for poetry. I got accused of plagiarism unjustly in high school for my writing ability. And really, so when I go into schools and work with kids, I'm very aware that every child is a savant in some area. They may not know it. The teacher may not know it. I may not know it but I know they are gifted in some area or at least one area. So I'm very sensitive to that because as a child, as a student, I wasn't really recognized for the gifts that I had. So yeah, does that answer the question? <laughs> Sorry, I'm wandering around so much to talk about. 
Yeah, there is so much to talk about because you are really a poly, what do you call it, polymath and do so many things. So, right, I just love variety and Chinese astrology. I'm a monkey and we're just very versatile. We like learning. We like variety. So I'm definitely not a cubicle kind of guy, right? And I've been drawn to artwork, to the expressive arts. I play guitar and harmonica when I do storytelling. So there's that. And then the designs that I work with as an artist, I've been really drawn to the Celtic interlaces, to sacred geometry. So, yeah. Yeah. So you play musical instruments as well. That's fascinating. Right. I grew up, I picked up the harmonica and the guitar in high school in St. Louis. That's like the home of the blues. We would go down to Kirkwood to Mel Bay Music Store. We'd see B.B. King and Albert King would be there. Chuck Berry played in the Admiral Riverboat on, on the Mississippi River. Tina Turner's from St. Louis. So there were so many influences around. And then it was the 60s on the soul music. And rock and roll was just all exploding in the 1960s when I was growing up. So I just kind of couldn't help but be a part of that. And then I would take my harmonica as a teenager and I would go to outdoor concerts. And I would just kind of like been looking at me like, what's this kid walking up here for? And I say, can I play with you? And they're like, all righty, kid, we're going to play blues and A. And so I'd grab my D harmonica and play cross harp. And then I started teaching myself guitar. Everyone, it was the seventies. Eventually everyone's playing guitar and the folk music. And so there's so many wonderful things that when I bring the guitar to a classroom, you can tell children just light up. I'm going to tell stories. They love storytelling, but I grab a Native American flute or I grab a drum, or I click some sticks together, then they're just like, it's just, they just explode with interest. Yeah, that is fascinating. Yeah, kids just innately get this stuff. It's amazing. Now, I want to shift a bit to your other side. You've got so many different sides, but your other side of the psychic abilities in the psychic world. Did you always know that you had that? I think so, but it was more around... Adolescence, I feel that we have developmental levels. You can study that in Psych 101. But a lot of what we don't talk about in developmental levels is our psychic awareness. And the same times, same times that that boots up big steps, like when a girl is starting to become a woman and when a boy is starting to become a man, that's actually a big opportunity for a step up in psychic development. And we don't really pay much attention to that. But I'll be working at a psychic fair and a family will come and go, you know, our daughter, she's 13 years old and she's just seeing things and talking about the spirit world and everything. And I say, well, that's to be expected. So children, of course, depending how they're raised or their self-confidence or how their comments are received by loved ones around them, the grownups or older siblings, they're going to maybe have an easier or a very difficult time making that jump up. So for me, I was about 12 years old. And I heard this, like someone just took their fist and slammed it into the wall that was common with the hallway. And I grew up in a small Catholic family of eight. So it could have been anyone, you know, walking in the house. But I waited to listen. I didn't hear like my dad cussing, like he had slipped and he had been checking on something in the middle of the night. I didn't hear anything. And my brother, Mike, a year older, he always had the top bunk. And sometimes we would talk at night, even though we didn't see each other. And so I said, Mike, did you hear that? And he said, yes. So he heard that loud noise. And so I thought, I'm going to go ask my mom. And I tell kids this, if you ever see or hear anything you can't explain, go talk to a trusted grown-up, whether even if it's not family, whether it's your soccer coach or your grandma or your teacher at school. So I had a question prepared for my mom. Have you ever seen or heard anything you can't explain? 
because that noise woke me up. I couldn't explain it. It wasn't a bird hitting the window. So this kind of like this psychic wake up call. Like you're 12 years old, the spirits were saying, we're here, bang. So I went to my mom, but my mom is very left brain and logical. She's a Virgo. Her maiden name is Dettenbanger. She raised us six kids with German precision. And I expected her to say no. She's like Spock, just very intelligent, very logical. So I posed the question. She said no, but then I counted one, two, three beats. And she said, well, there was a time. And she told me my first ghost story. She was riding a horse at my great aunt's farm, 200 acres of history and mystery outside St. Louis, where we grew up. And she came upon this guy sitting on one of the tombstones. And this is the Dr. Smith Cemetery. I'm sure it was Dr. Smith. She said he had a long gray beard and he's wearing old-time clothes. But she had a special needs horse. Just then, the horse stumbled. When she looked up again, he had vanished. So I thought if my very logical mom has seen a ghost, then there's really something to this. So from then on, I was really paying attention. I was fascinated. I got books. There's one book. It's actually still available today in Scholastic. I got it in Scholastic in grade school. It's called Strange and Wonderful Things. Strangely enough, I'm trying to remember the title, but I just gobbled that up. And it was about Bermuda Triangle and raining frogs and the devil's footprints and ghosts and UFOs. And I was just like, I believe this stuff is all real. I may not be able to see it right now. And so I was just on that trajectory. That And then over the years, I got into college. People were telling about Edgar Casey. And auras and reincarnation. And so I just started meeting kindred spirits. And then eventually people started reflecting back to me. You had this ability. I'm like, I don't know. And I'm a recovering Catholic. So the Catholic faith was very strong. And I'm like, kind of kept pushing it aside. But after divorce, I really started paying a lot more attention to my own spiritual journey. I started reading Course in Miracles and Urantia book. And I lived out in New Mexico. I just walked the mesas and I could feel the Anasazi spirits, the ancient ones. I could really feel them around. I would pick up a pottery shard or an obsidian arrowhead. And I just felt like they're real. I can't see them, but they're really here. I know they're here. So eventually I moved to Kentucky and I started as an artist. I started working psychic fairs, but I wasn't a reader. I was a vendor. But the readers would come and tell me things. One reader is all dressed in black. His stage name was Orion. He lives in Tennessee. He stood right in front of me before we started and said, you'd make more money as a reader than as a vendor. And I went over to one lady in Owensboro, Kentucky at her, the psychic fair at her table. I'm just hanging out chatting. She goes, well, let me do the cards for you. I'm like, I'm not a starving artist. I don't have any money. She goes, don't worry about it. She's shuffling the cards, but she's getting images. She said, I see water. It's going out of a faucet. It drip, drip, drip. And then it's flowing. I said, oh, I'm going to have plumbing problems. She laughed and said, no. She said, that's the spirit. You're going to be channeling. It's going to be drip, 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 and then it's going to be flowing. So she said, literally, you're going to be doing what I'm doing. And, then, and within six months, that came to pass. I was self-learning. I was studying uh, palmistry. I was getting book after book. And then when I worked with psychic fairs, I wasn't doing readings, but I'd say, hey, can I look at your hand for a minute? Just people walked up to my booth. So I was living in Lexington, Kentucky, doing a show in Tennessee. And the organizer came up and he said, I see you've been looking at people's palms. I said, oh. I'm not charging any money. I'm just trying to learn. He laughed. He said, my next show is in Lexington. We don't have a palm reader. Oh, your lucky break. So that was 1997. Wow. I just have to say, you may have seen me react when you talked about the Scholastic book. I had that when I was a kid. Did you really? Oh, yeah. I was fascinated. Was it strangely enough, maybe? Was that the title? For what it's called. It's still available on Scholastic. That's amazing. 
So you literally stumbled into this. Yeah, I mean, it's not like today where some young person can go find a mentor or even just probably there's a dozen people online you can connect with and take psychic development. In the 1960s, you just even tell a ghost story and people look at you funny. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, Gene Dixon, there were some of the first in the old days. But I would say things. I would just pop up and say things and people would look at me kind of funny. Like, did I tell you about my girlfriend's grandfather, the ghost? I'm like, no, no, I just... I thought I'd ask if you'd seen it. But I would just say things. People do the cards for me, then they'd shove them toward me and go, now you do them for me. They just, everyone knew, and it just took me a while. But once I really got going, first I was doing palm readings, and then I thought, I've done my cards at home for a decade. Why don't I just bring them to the shows? So it's very organic. And then as I did readings, I just got information like, oh, this health condition you have, this is actually related to a past life. And then it would channel in. So then I started doing past life readings. Or someone would say, oh, it may be helpful if I show you a picture of my deceased family member. So they'd slide the phone over. And then it was like, I'd say pictures or portals. Just this flood of information would come through the photographs. So I do readings from photographs. So everything, like as you would in professional development for any career, you just start expanding and improving what you do with experience and studying more and learning more. And yeah, it's just been a wonderful journey. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Now, let's talk a bit about your book, Tree Spirits and Wood Wisdom. I was very impressed with this because I know about crystals and how they have properties. That's the one. Yeah, if you're just listening on audio, Thomas is showing the cover of the book, Tree Spirits and Wood Wisdom. And apparently, different types of wood also have properties, just like crystals do. Did you know that Radiate Wellness is more than just a podcast? That's right. We're also a comprehensive holistic wellness practice. Find out about our services, practitioners, and upcoming events at radiatewellnesscommunity.com. While you're there, visit our podcast page to read more about our great guests and even donate to the podcast. If you like our podcast, you can help in other ways as well, like subscribe or follow us wherever you're listening right now. Tell a friend, a family member, or a coworker about the great content you find here. And if you wouldn't mind, please give us a thumbs up, a five-star rating, or a positive review. Sounds like a small thing, but it really helps. You might like to know about our Facebook communities while we're at it. We have a free community, the Radiate Wellness Community, on Facebook for news and great free content. Our subscribers group is Radiate U, as in the letter U, but also, well, you. There you'll find curated replays of past classes, guest interviews, and more. And now, Back to our podcast and back to our guest. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive.
Right. A lot of people know about the crystals and stones, but we don't live that tribal right in the jungle or deep in the woods of Great Britain anymore. We've kind of wandered away from that. And if we grew up in a tribal setting, the people in your village or your grandparents or whoever, they would talk to you all about all the trees and what they did. Shamans in South America, they say that every tree, every plant has a song. You have to learn the song and sing it to that tree. And then you get the cooperation of what the tree can do or the plant can do for you. So there's this really deep dive of consciousness and connecting with the natural world. We desperately need to counterbalance. We got high tech. That's very convenient. That's very nice. But there's also high touch to counterbalance the high tech. We're doing really good at the high tech. We're maybe not doing so good with the high touch. That's where you walk in the grass. That's where you get outside the four walls. That's where you set down the phone and the computer and you go interact with the natural world. Now, the computer is made of nature and all the tech elements are, but there's nothing like a tree. And even instinctively, children, if they're upset, if they want to be alone, they'll go outdoors, they'll go to a tree, they'll hug a tree, they'll get under that willow tree, you know, that kind of drooping, weeping willow, and it's that privacy and that connection. A lot of people had stories of encounters with tree spirits, and all the different tree woods have a metaphysical meaning. J.K. Rowling, when she did her research for the Harry Potter series, she totally knew what she was doing, and she's the only living literary artist in the history of the British Museum to have an exhibit there. So all the others, after they died, and posthumously, they put out their notes and their drawings. So when you look at the woods and the characteristics of the wood that each unique tree can offer, and you look at the wands that they were made into in the book and in the series, you can perfectly match because of her research, which wizard had which wood wand. So for instance, holly is the whitest wood there is. Holly has an association of strength in the fight. It was used for spear shafts by the Celtic people. Then later, when they burned wood to forge sores as they moved into metal weapons, it turned out that holly was the best wood to burn for a really good fire to forge the swords. Holly is actually ruled by Mars. All the trees are ruled by a particular planet. You and I are each born on a certain sun sign. Same for the trees. They all have a ruling planet. And the University of Edinburgh did a study, and they found when here on Earth, the tree of a particular kind was lined up with the moon and the ruling planet, there was greater growth than it could otherwise be accounted for by moisture and the seasonal kind of factors. So the ruling planet, that study found out for each tree was exactly the same that the ancient people said was a ruling planet for each tree. But if we go back to holly, okay, so holly has a strength in the fight association. It's the whitest wood there is. Guess which wizard had the holly wand? Was that Harry? It was Harry Potter. Yeah. Holly is for those that take up the fight for the benefit of others, which is exactly what Harry Potter did. And you can go on down the list. Now, there was one wizard that was a double agent. And spoiler alert, that was Professor Snape. She gave him the ebony wand. That's that black wood that, well, you usually think of from Africa. There's other sources. But anyway, it's that class. The Egyptians work with ebony. It's this beautiful black wood. So what is ebony good for? Those who can handle both light and dark magic. Oh, interesting. But when you go down the line, she totally did her research. So it's this kind of like little private club of this need to know if you exert the energy, do the research, move out toward this learning. And I just want other people to know about this amazing resource that's available to you, whether it's a live tree that you go out, a stump that you sit on, 
you approach trees from a scientific study, that's fine too. Or if you have kind of the metaphysical or new age bent and you want to wear a certain kind of wood for a certain kind of purposes for each day for protection or for healing or a myriad of other uses. So what I did was with the book, I actually started looking online because I started making wands. I got tapped to do to be a feature speaker in Anchorage, Alaska. And I went up there, hadn't made any wands at all, but I had made Christmas ornaments, holiday ornaments. And I made some of them like wooden icicles. They were tapered. They went down from thicker to narrow. I spiral carved them. So I was setting up for the psychic fair in Anchorage. Two ladies walked up. One of them picked up this wooden icicle. She pointed at her friend who gave this knowing nod. And the first lady turned to me and said, I've never met a wand maker. And I said, oh, no, ma'am. You know, it's not a wand. That's a little ornament for your holiday tree. She shook her head and said, no, it's a wand. She says, I can feel the energy. You're making wands. So I went home to Louisville, Louisville, and I thought, okay, number one, can I make a wand? How would I make a wand? Number two, and would people buy them? And the answer was thumbs up for all of those. But then I'm selling wands and I'm thinking, well, surely these different tree woods have different metaphysical meanings. It's totally different if you're under a pine tree or an oak tree or a redbud or a dogwood. So I got online, I found some meanings, but those websites didn't say where they got it. And mm -hmm. I, they didn't originate it. Yeah, you wanted to do your research and I totally respect that. So what I did was I took wood samples. I'm a woodworker. I've been working with wood since the 1980s. And I took a Sharpie marker. I just wrote a number on them. Then I sent them to my psychic friends. I have this great network. I've been working in the metaphysical area for decades. And they had no idea what they were holding. They didn't know trees. They didn't know woods. In that sense, they held the wood samples. Then they sent me the information. Here's the information for number 14, number 27, number 50. Then, of course, when I got the wood samples back and the info, I had the code for the numbers. And they were really great. I totally give them credit. In, in the back of the book, there's three ladies, one in Florida now, one in Michigan, and one in Tennessee now. And they were so generous. So I'm learning from other people. I'm not originating the knowledge. I'm just saying, let's put this together and share that. So in my book, the first thing I do is I give testimonials. People that bought my pendants, my earrings, my spoons, my wands, they have things to talk about that the experiences with those pieces of wood. And I can share some of those in a moment. Then I have the main body of work from my three psychic friends. And you can actually see when you read the description, like for pine, it'll start with the initials of the particular channeler. So I give them full credit in the back of the book. I give them their contact information. You can literally see which person said which thing about which tree. But basically trees have energy. They have consciousness. They have spirits. They have attending spirits. So there's a story, I don't know if you know Animal Speak by Ted Andrews. Mm -mm. It's a book where you can look up any animal and when you encounter it, it teaches you something. So if you see an eagle, that's about messages. Or excuse me, hawk. See a hawk, that's about messages. If you see a bluebird, all the different birds and reptiles and animals and four-legged. So Ted Andrews is very connected. He's passed away, but he would go to metaphysical events. He would be a speaker, workshops, he wrote books. Here's his story about a tree spirit. He would go out in the woods. He grew up in the 1950s. And back then it was all cowboys and Indians. So he called his little spot Fort Apache. There was a creek. He would always see this young lady there. It seemed to be about his age. She would always be giggling, looking behind a tree, smiling at him. She always had a squirrel at her feet. He said to her one time, how come I don't see you in school? And she just laughed and ran down the path. 
Well, at the time, he thought she was a regular human girl. One day, he went down the creek, and she was sad and mopey. She was sitting down by the creek, and she wasn't there with her squirrel. He tried to talk to her, and finally, she brightened up, stood up, gave him a kiss on the cheek, and said, I'll always remember you, Ted Andrew. That was the last time he saw her, but two days later, the bulldozers came. And he figured out later that she was a tree spirit. So now, Bruce Springsteen is the rock star, right? And he's got all these people that attend to him, right? So she was not the rock star. She was not the spirit of the oak tree, but she was an attending spirit. She was a tree spirit. Yeah. So people sometimes get confused about that. So you have the spirit of the particular tree, then you have the attending, even down to the elementals that compares like little lights along the branches. So there's different levels. And then, of course, elementals that do the work down where the roots are. You know, trees cannot survive without fungi. And if you read The Hidden Life of Trees and other works, you can see how incredibly complex and amazing trees are. Of course, they give us, they take our carbon dioxide, they take our waste, and they give us oxygen. Also, trees are the reverse of us, you might say, geographically. So our heads are upward as we're standing, five, six foot tall, and our reproductive organs are down. It's the reverse for the tree. Their reproductive stuff is up above because that's where the fruit, the flowers, the nuts are. So there's so much about trees that we wandered away from, we've forgotten, we don't know. But I tell you what, when I have my wands out, when I have my little comfort birds out there, people are like, they're just like that one. How much is that one? Or what kind of wood is that one? And then they look in the book and like, oh my God, that's exactly what I need. Same as you would for a crystal, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I remember your array of wands and I do have a wand and I'm not one of yours though. And I'm dying to know what it is now. But yeah, you've got wands, you've got spoons, these comfort birds, these little bird. Yes, that's beautiful. So what is the significance of the spoons that you make? Is it just for kitchens and cooking? Well, all my spoons are functional, but some of these with a lot of work in it may never touch the tomato sauce. Mm -hmm. But I have one group of spoons that I make from scratch. And then like I do maybe sometimes Celtic interlaces. The Celtic designs, it's that endless knot. There's the idea of infinity, no beginning, no ending. Then I have another kind of spoon that I purchased the spoons or spatulas. And then I do silly and fun quotes. I call them spoons with a message. And there might be, maybe I would burn a unicorn or a little fairy girl. Or I have a whole series of cat quotes like uh, Alfred Hitchcock's daughter, Patricia Hitchcock. She said, if your cat falls out of a tree, go indoors to laugh. Oh, <laughs> or a quote by Mark Twain, who said, if man were to be cross with a cat, it would likely improve the man, but deteriorate the cat. So you have the visual enjoyment, you have the tactile, you have maybe the designs, and then what wood is it made out of? So, right. I just love designing the Celtic designs and wood burning and everything I do is hand done. It's not computer laser done. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So the spoons, I looked at the spoons and at your booths and I thought, well, they could be ceremonial somehow. So that's interesting. Yeah. Right. So I kind of let go of all that as at least my booth. But yeah, I learned from others. Like they'll tell me, oh yeah, I use it for ceremonial purposes. Or what did you do with your wand? Well, actually I had kind of a procedure for kind of cleansing it energetically. I totally get that. Other people, they just kind of grab the wand and they're good to go. But people have interesting stories. I'm learning from other people, like what exactly to do 
But a lot of times they're just decorative and it's a fun gift to buy a spatula with a quote from Julia Child when someone can have in their kitchen, or it might have a Bigfoot on the spoon. <laughs> and so it's just that fun thing. But when it gets more to wands or more intimate objects like holding the comfort birds, then you might want to just kind of, yeah, say, what wood is this? What's the provenance? I work with wood that's been struck by lightning and ancient people's believe that brings the power of the heavens down into the tree wood. I work with wood that is 8,000-year-old bog oak. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And even in the Middle Ages, talk about Game of Thrones. Even in the Middle Ages, people wanted, the royalty wanted to have thrones made out of bog wood. So this is incredible energy. If you look at the nature spirits, the bog is neither fully land, nor is it fully water. And it's in those in-between places like dusk and dawn. That's when the fairy folk are very strong. So you can find their specials on TV, on streaming, where you can read about the bog people that were found and they were ritually sacrificed. You can read about objects that were put in the bog, like copper and metals that were very scarce back in the Bronze Age, and they were offerings. Butter, butter was actually considered an offering, and you may not want to spread it on your whole wheat bread, but there is butter that is still recognizable as butter that's fine in the bogs. So the bog, what I get, it's oak, but it's turned completely black, and the energy is amazing. Once again, if I have my, wow. my bonds laid out, there are certain people that are drawn to that. They go, what? is this, they pick it up, they talk about jolts of electricity, go through their body, even children. And actually it's mostly children because if I don't work a metaphysical event then there's not that cue that these are wands and the grownups come up and they go, is, are these stirring sticks? Or are these like for crocheting? You know, they're totally clueless, but kids come up immediately, they'll grab one and go, expelleramus, stupefied, with some Harry Potter spells or whatever. But people that pick up the bongo and they're meant to have it, they're like, yeah, I understand this is expensive, but you paid a lot for it. It was shipped from the Ukraine. It took three months to get here. But if they feel like it's right, they want it. They want to go home with it and they resonate with that. So I work with lightning struck wood, ancient bog wood. I make jewelry out of Palo Santo, which is sacred wood. Of course, usually people are burning. And then there's special woods to the person. Like our grandparents had this tree out there for 75 years and it got hit by lightning. Can you please make us a spoon or a piece of jewelry that we can have here or a holding heart or a comfort bird? And so people have really intimate connections with trees over time. You know, here in Kansas City, where I live, we get a lot of storms and the poor trees around here are just decimated and it breaks my heart. I'm so touched and sad when a tree dies. I mean, it feels like a death. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people feel that way. Well, it's interesting that, let's say the stump is still there, whether someone had to come and cut it down or professional tree cutters or whatever, but the other trees still share nutrients with a stump. Really? And that's science. And that was proven. There's a lady, I can't remember her name in the Pacific Northwest. She did research. She took non-lethal radioactive material and in a liquid and added combined it with nutrients and she would feed and trace these nutrients so she gave the nutrient and she could trace where it went and she gave it to one tree and it turned out that tree shared the nutrients with other trees including trees of different species and it's science that the trees around will send recordable nutrient and energy to other organisms there including that tree stump 
So when people talk about, they go to the tree stump and stand on it, they can still fully feel the energy of the tree. That's a very real thing for both physics and metaphysics. I totally agree. This stuff is fascinating. If we really understood how conscious everything is, we wouldn't be so cavalier about chopping down forests. Yeah, I hear in Louisville, some friends called me and they said, oh, we're going to cut down some trees and maybe you might like some wood. And of course, trees could be cut down for any reason. There was a storm, it's disease. Maybe they lived a long life, but to be honest, some people are like, well, we're going to change the landscaping here. You know, they're the homeowner. So went over and some of them, yeah, I could understand, but one was not a very old holly, like maybe only 10 inch diameter. And it was, well, remember holly is protection? It yeah. was in between their house and a busy road. So, you know, there it was. And they cut it down because they just wanted to change the look. It wasn't really an organic reason. So I told them the story from Ted Andrews about the tree spirit and how she had to leave before the woods were cleared. And then I went back home and then later that evening, I got an email and the wife said, Ted took a nap later. You told us that story. And the oddest thing happened when Ted woke up, he saw two angry women there that really wanted to talk to him. My. Now, if you go to Africa, if you go to Asia, if you go to rural, you, know, you might say third world, quote unquote, or fourth world countries, tribal native peoples, they will point to that group of trees and it, they'll sell you. If you want to die, go ahead and cut down one of those trees. They're very aware of the tree spirits. They're very aware of respecting the trees. And Native peoples will only use certain woods for certain purposes. If we look at our Native Americans, for example, I lived out in the Southwest for 12 years. I was in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and got to know what are these tribal people making? What are they using for certain woods? The Zuni will only use lightning-struck ponderosa pine for their prayer sticks. The Hopi will only use cottonwood for their kachina dolls and only certain part of the cottonwood, and that's the root. Now, right outside my home, a block and a half away, is an amazing lady from Vietnam. And so I guess she called her and her husband a Vietnamese-American. They've been here forever. They escaped the communist takeover in Vietnam. They were the boat people that had to run through the pirates in the ocean. They made it here. Chao is her name. She grows everything. She's so knowledgeable for the English name, for the Vietnamese names. Her husband, they had to cut down an Asian persimmon tree that they had planted and lived the full life. And so he was down there in the pit and he was digging out the roots and he had them laid out there. And I was bicycling by and went, and I stopped and I looked and I said, excuse me, sir, what are you going to do with those roots? Because I almost never get a chance to work with roots. We always cut the trees a little bit ground level. And he said, oh, we're going to put them in the fire. They're always burning something. I said, can I have some of those? And he said, take all you want. So I turned my bike around, got my wheelbarrow, came back, loaded up. I made wands out of those. And believe me, roots are hard to work with. They're very dense. They're fibrous. They're twisty. They have bark on it. But I labored. I made beautiful wands. I had my wands laid out. I worked events then. 50 wands and people would point straight to the root wand, the persimmon root wand. That one, how much? And they're gone. They just went like wildfire. So people instinctively respond to the energy of the tree or the wood. Now, you would say, well, wait a minute. This is just a little piece of wood. I'm not like standing in front of the tree to get the energy. And I say, well, wait a minute. How about CSI? What happens if they got a little hair from you or a drop of your blood? They have the pattern of your whole DNA, don't they? So as with traditional Chinese medicine, 
Each little part carries the pattern of the whole. We know that's true with DNA forensic analysis, right? Mm -hmm. Get a little bit of your fingernail, get a little bit of your spit or saliva, and then, yeah, we can get locked you down in a database for DNA. It's the same for a little piece of wood. You don't have to have the whole tree. Really? Yes, it's the same for a piece of wood. I can have just a little scrap of wood. That wood gives me access to the species, well, to the particular tree, right. and then to the whole species. Wow, interesting. And Let's children know all this. There's a lady who lives in Dallas, Diana. She does metaphysical work. She does Reiki healing. She bought some of my wands. She worked in a van. Everyone was going, hey, what about these wands here? Okay, they're mine. I'm not going to sell them, but I can give you Thomas's contact information. Well, this seven-year-old girl comes up. She looks at them and she goes, are those wands like Harry Potter? And Diana says, well, we don't really use the word magic. We call it the energy that each wood has a different energy. And she said to the girl, and some people can feel that. Would you like to hold one of the wands? And the girl said, okay. She held the wand for a moment and she said, nope, I don't feel anything. She handed it back. And Diana was going to say something very sympathetic as you would to a child. And then the girl added, but it stings. Oh, hello. Remember we talked about holly? Mm-hmm. by Mars? Mm-hmm. She had handed the girl a holly wand. So that seven-year-old picked up on the energy, didn't she? Yep. She didn't realize it. She didn't know it. She didn't have a name for it, but she did. And all those things you mentioned are exactly why I write the books and I'm working on a second tree book and why I take all the time to do the research and send the wood samples out to my psychic friends. And I was very grateful to be a part of that sharing. Oh, wow. And you know, and I'm looking at your website now. You've got all of your books available. Your work is in storytelling. Your work in artistry. So much information, and that's all at Thomas L. Fries, F-R-E-E-S-E dot com. All of this and more at Thomas L. dot com. And you've got other books coming up, too. I would love to have you back to talk about some of your other books. You've got books on hauntings and trees and ghosts and spirits and all types of wonderful things. Is there anything that we've left out? Because I do need to get going, but is there anything that we've left out? So just to mention that my website is very limited. It was set up 15 years ago. I only had two or three books out. Wow. No click and purchase. And there's a lot. It doesn't even talk about my psychic work because I go into public schools and some very conservative out in the country counties. And mm -hmm. so just to mention, the website is just a placeholder. If people really want to see what I'm doing, they can find me on Facebook or contact me through the website info at thomaselfries.com. Or if it's through you, a trusted source, give my cell number. And that would be maybe just a proviso that really there's the, the website's very, very limited and obviously needs to one of these decades get updated. Bring up to the century. So Thomas, it was a pleasure having you on. It's been a few weeks. So it's nice to see you again. So thank you for joining me. You're quite welcome. And anytime I'd be happy to come back. I've got great stories of encounters with ghosts, spirits, and angels and outtakes from being a psychic reader. Yes, I would love to do that. We will do that again. So I will have you back in the next few months. All right. Thank you so much for joining me today.
Radiate Wellness is an international community of holistic and alternative healers dedicated to helping you create spiritual, energetic, and physical well-being. To learn more about our practitioners, services, classes, and events, or to schedule an appointment, visit us at radiatewellnesscommunity.com. Hi, I'm Jane Asher, and I believe, and from what I've been shown, that when our loved ones die, they don't really leave. They just slip into the next room. On my podcast, I explore the bigger picture surrounding life on Earth and what follows when we do die. I speak with authors, friends, transition specialists, and other experts about every facet of death, dying, grief, hospice care, cultural traditions, and also our beliefs about that final journey and what we may end up facing. Please join me on the next room on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.